Hi, Nick. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Camera Shake, the podcast all about photography, videography, filmmaking, gear, and everything and anything that's got anything to do with that. Um, we are currently stuck in a house, sitting out the uh, coronavirus epidemic, uh, as I'm sure you probably are. So uh, this might be a good opportunity to do something a little bit different. So we've decided to come up with um, a podcast. Um, we'll just introduce ourselves really quickly. My name is Kay. I'm a photographer, um, videographer, and so on and so forth. And uh, and my name is Nick, and I primarily, primarily am a videographer. Awesome. Well, let's get straight into it. So normally, under normal circumstances, Nick and me would be working together a lot, but of course, we're stuck um, at home. And uh, so this is, this, is, <laughs> this is our way uh, to communicate now. Um, so Nick, what have you been up to over the last few weeks? Other than being stuck indoors? <laughs> Other than being yeah, stuck indoors, yeah. As well. Um, I'm getting a little tired of it, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> so I'm just trying to come up with creative ways of just keeping myself occupied. Um, you know, we had our little competition, which we'll get onto a little bit later, I hope, um, and show people what we've been doing there. And starting this podcast has been great. Um, you know, doing a little bit of pre-work on that and doing this every week will be something to keep me a little bit sane. Other than that, um, I've been, I've actually been really, really busy. Just about finished up a school production um, film, um, which we, we we filmed a couple of weeks back. Um, but I tell you what, I was having some problems exporting this last night. And so I was up until about 2 a.m., which is why I didn't sleep very well. Um, so I was up until about 2 a.m. fighting with why it wouldn't export with uh, without audio dropping in and out in uh, Premiere Pro. And you know, I worked out what it was in the end. I had a third-party plugin from Isotope um, on my master out, which was, for some unknown reason, just went a bit crazy. So I literally had to disable it and re-enable it and it fixed the problem. Isn't that like the most annoying thing when you do something that you've done like a thousand times before and when you really need it to work, it just, for some inexplicable reason, doesn't work and it makes no sense whatsoever. Exactly. And I promised I would get this revision out last night as well, which is, and I was, I was just fighting this. I had to send a quick message saying, I'm having a few problems with export. Bear with me. It will come out tonight. And I just, and finally it got there. Trouble is, it's about an hour and a half show, right? And so that takes quite a while to export. And I can't be sure by just exporting just a, you know, a minute or two that the problem's solved. I need to export the whole lot. So just for, you know, for our listeners to, uh, to understand who we are, um, I'm predominantly a stills photographer um, who dabbles in uh, videography and filmmaking. And Nick is a videographer who also does photography. I think it's probably fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, I dabble in photography like you dabble in videography. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so we come from from different ends of the spectrum, but actually we work a lot together on a lot of different uh, projects. We've worked uh, we've worked on a lot of video projects together, and um, we've also worked on 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 a number of photo projects together, or photo shoots together. So, um, which is exactly what we'd be doing right now if it wasn't for coronavirus, and uh, and that just means that we're stuck stuck indoors. I just. You know, just from a professional uh, business perspective, of course, what, what that's meant for my photography business um, is that uh, all of 
all of my contracts, uh, all of my uh, photo shoots have been canceled really for the foreseeable future. And of course, as a small business owner, you always hope that, you know, that really means they're postponed, but I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, a number of those will really not come to fruition in the end, which, you know, has made it, made it difficult uh, in a number of ways. Um, and how, how has this whole thing affected you as a filmmaker? Man, it's, it's been a nightmare. It's, it's, well, I say that. Lots of projects cancelled or postponed and deferred to later in the year. However, I've been getting additional work because of the, the, the teaching that, uh, that I do. Um, so we've been stepping that up um, in, the, in the interim. So I've actually been getting more work that way, less work in other ways. So it's kind of it's balancing out a little bit right now. It is what it is. There's nothing we can do about this, this lockdown. There's nothing we can do about this coronavirus knocking about at the moment. So we make the best of it. We keep ourselves occupied. We try to find other ways to keep ourselves creative. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do here, right? But I think, you know, thanks to technology, um, you know, we're able to do these things like podcasts. I mean, the, the whole idea of setting up a podcast has been an idea we've been bouncing, you know, around for, for quite some time. And uh, of course, now we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, this is a really, uh, a really great creative outlet. Um, and uh, the plan really is to do that on a weekly basis. So we, we you know, we come up with a, uh, a new episode every week. Um, so if anything, it's really kind of forced us to do something and to actually take action and execute something that we've been thinking about for a long time. Um, and of course, because, you know, in your day-to-day, uh, day job with, you know, and family life and everything else, uh, it's sometimes it's, it's difficult to just get something done and you feel, it feels like you're kicking the can down the road, yeah. like constantly, you know? Um, and so I, I found that this being stuck in the house and, uh, and having to deal with, you know, isolation and all, all the rest of it, um, it just fuels the creative brain and uh, you end up sometimes out of sheer boredom, you know, you end up just executing things. Um, so you can look at the positive, the positives, you know, in this, in this dreadful situation. One of the things that we've decided to do is to come up with a photo challenge um, every week. So we set ourselves a topic and we then make a photograph um, or a video, in fact, and we then critique each other in a positive way um, about that. We basically talk about, talk about our, our efforts um, every week. So that's what you, just one thing you can do. And you can do it from afar, which is, uh, again, thanks to you know, the blessings of modern technology. That's, that's all doable. Interesting thing I saw on the BBC news website um, a few days ago. It was a really interesting article about this, actually. Um, and it basically went along the lines of like, what, what would the world be like if this coronavirus thing had happened in 2005? And that was really quite eye-opening because you know, in 2005, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem that far away. No. You know, it doesn't, doesn't seem that long ago. But in 2005, the iPhone hadn't been invented yet. You know, really? Skype hadn't introduced, yeah, because that came out in 2007 or something. Is that right? Yeah, the first iPhone. Um, uh, Skype hadn't introduced video calling yet. You know, so there's no video calling. Um, uh, so smartphones didn't exist. People had flip phones at the time, you know. And the average... I had a flip phone. So did I. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I had the Motorola Razor. Razor, I think it was same. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Sweet phone. 
Um, I, I tell you what, I had a hard time letting go of flip phones. I loved flip phones at the time because it just it was just you know the Star Trek communicator thing that I thought was awesome. <laughs> so, um, so it took me a long time. I think I got on on board with the iPhone. I think my first iPhone was like the iPhone four or something like that. So I took took quite a long time. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I moved to Apple phones until uh, the six. Yeah. Maybe the oh no no four S, all right four S that's right yeah. Obviously things like Zoom weren't around in two thousand five, um, and people had to make phone calls. Um, in fact, the average broadband connection in the UK was such that even um, downloading a music track would take several minutes, and downloading a movie would take several hours, and that was like Days. the average um, <laughs> broadband connection speed at the time. So there was that no was Netflix. Was that still dial-up at that point, or was broadband out? It was. A, I think it was broadband, but it was just slow broadband by modern standards. Not even a mega, megabit. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, I remember. I mean, I, I used to at the time. I used to live in a um, like a small village, you know, um, out in the countryside, and the broadband connection there was abysmal. It was, in fact, I tell you what, it was so bad. It was so bad that we. I remember if we wanted to download a movie from iTunes we would have to decide in the morning, set the download so that the movie was downloaded by the evening so we could watch it. I mean, that's how bad it was. Right, so one of the things that we're going to do um, every week is that we, we pick some topics from the, uh, the world of photography news or videography news, and uh, we'll, pick, we'll pick a number of topics that we found really interesting. We'll talk about those. Um, so, Nick, do you want to start with your first topic? Yeah, sure. Um... So uh, you may or may not know, Kay, that I um, upgraded and purchased a Aperture 300D Mark II a couple of weeks back. And so for those of you who don't know, um, this is an upgrade on the 300D that Aperture released a couple of years ago now, I believe, maybe a bit longer. So hang on, so the, the, so the 300D I'm familiar with, and you, what's the new model called? Mark II. Oh, Mark II. <laughs> Mark II, yeah. So, so, the, so the light that most people will probably be familiar with, particularly if you do vlogging or you do any kind of YouTube video, you may have purchased a 120D uh, or a 120D Mark II. Same idea, just a bit less powerful. More than enough for any kind of vlogging situation. So the reason I actually went for the 300D um, Mark II is... And it's simply because it's more power. Um, I believe the 300 comes from 300 watts. I could be wrong there, but that's, I'm guessing that. Um, but I'm pretty sure it does. Um, with some of the, the video that, that I end up doing, I want to make sure I've got the headroom within the light to be able to do it, particularly if I want to work outside and in daylight as well. I want it to be powerful enough to give that extra light. And the 300D definitely does that. Uh, it's really pricey. I mean, it's really pricey. Um, it's about a thousand pounds, maybe maybe more like eleven hundred. Um, I'm guessing in the US, it's probably a thousand dollars. It'll be give or take. Um, but man, is it worth it? Man, is it, in fact, I'm using it right now. So the, the light you're seeing, almost all of the light you're seeing right now, other than the blue hint behind me, is all coming from the three hundred D, and it is set to. And I'll tell you what it is. Only 16% right now. And my ISO, my ISO is at 80 on my camera. So wow. okay. that's how powerful this thing can actually go. 
Um, uh, I'll tell you, actually, I, t- I bought a couple of bits to go with it, which I, mean, I, will, I will mention in a minute. Um, but, you know, I've only had it for a couple of weeks, so I can only give you, you know, a general idea of how good it is. Um, you know, it, other than the power, it's small for, for the kind of power it's producing. It's really lightweight and it's, my, it's almost silent. And it's, just a, that powerful. it's just a constant light, isn't it? It is, yeah, it's yeah. a continuous light um, rather than a flash. It's uh, 5,500K balanced, uh, Kelvin balanced, which is great, but you can't change that in any way. So there's no color temperature adjustment here. Most LED lights these days have some kind of um, uh, adjustment with that, make it you can get your warmer light or your cooler light from it. And this doesn't do it. So on one hand, that's great that you know it's going to be high quality, 5,500, um, 5, sorry. But to have a little bit of flexibility, that would have been nice. Not the end of the world, but for £1,100, I'd like a li- maybe a little bit extra. That aside. The, the, um, the smaller model of that is the 160D, isn't it? Or the 160D Mark II. So in terms of price range, where does that sit? If memory serves me right, the 120D Mark II, anyway, is probably in the um, six to £700 range. And the 300D is in the uh, one, 1,000 to £1,100 range, give or take. Uh, yeah, so the other thing about it is, uh, I was just going to say, was, it's silent. I mean, it is silent. A light that powerful shouldn't be that silent. It's incredible. It's got these two little fans underneath, which are just constantly going, and it's, it keeps it cool enough. And they're just I've not heard fans like that. Absolutely well impressed with that. Well impressed. Yeah, we used it on a shoot the other day and it's it was, it's really impressive. Like it's, it's there's no stunning. there's no sound silent. I can't believe it. Um it's got a bones mount on it, which is cool. So I decided at the same time to buy the Aperture Light Dome 2. Um and uh the Fresnel 2 2 2X as well. Um so the light dome is on right now, and I Hopefully you can. It's coming across well enough in the uh, in the picture. But can you can you see how soft that light is? And it's literally wrapping around my face in a, in the nicest possible way. I mean, prior to that, I was using some LED panels and things like that, and um, using some additional diffusion, that kind of thing, which is great. You know, for the for the money that that costs, it's great. Um, but this is just a, such a huge step up in the quality of light that it's producing, and the picture yeah, is just I love it. I absolutely love it. The um, so the light dome. I've got the grid on at the moment as well, um, so it's much more directional. Um, the light downside with the light dome, it's massive. I mean, it is. Ma- I mean, it, you know, it's talk. We're talking like this kind of width right now. It's huge, um, but that's what enables that light to be so soft, right? So it's it's worth it. They do a mini version. So if you do have a bit of a tighter space that you're regularly using, um, it's probably well worth getting one, uh, getting the smaller version too. Um, and then just to move on to the the, the Fresnel 2X, which I, I mentioned as well. As I understand it, putting that on the front of the 300D gives around eight times as much power. Um, it right. focuses the light, so it's significantly brighter, obviously. The you know the the consequence of that is rather than having a spread of light, it does narrow it significantly, a bit more like a spotlight, right? But if you're shooting outside and you're you're combating you know bright sunlight, then that's exactly what you need potentially. Yeah, 
totally right. Totally right. I can kind of add to that because I just recently bought this thing. Um, well, it's very so, yellow. <laughs> it's very yellow. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the Interfit Honey Badger Unleashed, and it's it's uh, it's also a light. It's a flashlight. Um, so although it does have the ability to produce constant light, it's got a um, an LED model light in it, which can be used for for video. It's by far not as powerful as anything the Aperture 300D can uh, can produce. But if you're in a fix, that'll do it. Um, it's a but if, well. I guess if it's pr if its primary function is a flash, right, and it's, you've just got that ability to have continuous light when as and when you need it, it doesn't need to be the yeah. 300D, right? It's an absolute bonus, I have to say. I mean, obviously. Uh, being you know predominantly a still photographer, I bought this as a flash, as a flashlight, um, and uh, the reason why I decided to go for this is is really uh, predominantly because of the form factor. Um, you know, for those of you who know a little bit about flash photography, um, it will immediately sort of remind you of the alien bees. Um, the form factor is very boxy. Um, it's very small. It's different from a lot of other flash uh, flashes or studio flashes, studio strobes, who are very elongated and long. Mm. Um, mm. And for me, uh, working a lot out of my home studio, it's a very tight space. Um, it has a high ceiling, which is great, but I need to get this light really close back against the wall. And even those few inches that I'm missing in terms of length make a massive difference, especially when you think you have a modifier uh, on the front. You know, if you have slightly larger um, Octobox or something like that on the front, um, then you know, it, it adds to the size of the whole contraption as it were. And so, you know, getting it just these few inches further closer to the wall will just, you know, it does make a great, a, a big difference. It makes a big difference. And the reason why it's called the Honey Badger Unleashed is because it's the most uh, recent version from Innofit. Um, and it's a, it's a wireless version. So it has a battery compartment. Um, oh, nice. The original Honey Badger, uh, only worked with AC power, so you had to plug it into the wall. Um, and this one is totally mobile, so I can take it out on location. Uh, in fact, we did a shoot with it the other day, which we may talk about maybe in the next episode uh, in more detail. But um, but this is great. Um, it's a Bones S-type connector, so any standard um, modifier will fit right on it, uh, no matter whether it's a soft box or an octobox or whatever it is. Um, you can attach umbrellas. Um, it's really very, very useful. How long are you getting out of the uh, battery? So the, the spec set, says about 430 um, flashes on full power. That is pretty decent, that's I have to say. That's pretty good. You know, that's considerably more um, than you would get out of a regular speed light. Yeah. You know, and um, at bearing in mind that this is considerably more powerful than a regular speed light, you know, it's a really, really useful, uh, useful thing. Um, the one disadvantage I, I should say is that you cannot actually plug it into the wall. So it would be great if you had the option to run it uh, like a regular studio light uh, when you're in the studio and then just take it out and use the battery um, on location. Who knows? Maybe in the next, maybe the next version of Mark that. Honey Badger Unleashed Mark II. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So can, but, can you get additional batteries for it? Yes, you can, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess there are a few occasions where you're going to want more than 500 flashes. Um, you know, if you've got a, a string of portraits going on, that, like I know you do um, at corporate events and whatnot, you might want 
want that to be longer. But yeah, so it's a pity he doesn't go into AAC as well. Yeah, that's, that's a real, I mean, that's one of the disadvantages I have to say. I, you know, as a you know, as a headshot photographer, if I have uh, headshot clients at home uh, or, you know, in the in my home studio, uh, then it's just one additional thing that I have to make sure that the battery is always fully charged, you know, before a session and so on and so forth. So it would just be nice if I could just plug it in and, and forget about it and not worry about it. Um, but the advantages that it gives me just by the sheer fact that I can take it out on location makes up for that completely. Because the other thing you're going to worry about when you're out on location is like, where do you get the power from? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so this, in that respect is super easy. It's also really super easy to use. I mean, it really, uh, for anybody who's got any experience with studio flashes, it works like any other, um, studio flash, um, interfit maker, a, very, a specific remote for it, which is super easy and, and totally uh, intuitive uh, in the in the way that it works. So um, anybody who's who's ever used a flash before will know how to use this instantaneously. And even if you haven't, it's not a massive learning curve. I have to say, um, just operating this light is super easy. So um, so there are some real advantages. It's also it's relatively light, so you know it fits in your backpack or uh, you know, in your gear bag, and you can take it. Um, it's not necessarily the most, the cheapest light. Um, it comes in at about 250 British pounds, or pounds sterling, um, which you can get, especially if you're just beginning to get into studio flash, um, kind of photography, then there, there are cheaper versions. Um, but how, all- how would, how does that price compare to perhaps, a, a, a Nikon or Canon speed light? Well, I mean, you can, of course, you can get you can get cheaper speed lights. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's some of these Chinese uh, manufacturers that make considerably cheaper. Uh, so you can get cheap lights. Myself. You know, Young New, you can get uh, you can probably get something under hundred pounds. Um, and for anybody starting to get into flash photography in general, speed lights are absolutely fine. Uh, I've shot for many years just with a speed light setup. Um, I've done many professional portraits. Um, and you know, professional shoots with a number of, of speed lights. That's not a problem. Uh, the problem comes when you're shooting outside and when you're shooting in bright sunlight. Um, then when, that's where you get, uh, that's when you get, that's when you run into problems with, mm. uh, with speed lights because they're just not powerful enough to overpower the sun. So, um, you know, so that, that is really where the problem lies and that's where a proper studio flash can come in handy. The other thing about the the Honey Badger is that it's a it's it's a high speed sync flash, so it allows you to to shoot at very high shutter speeds. It goes all the way up to one eight thousandth um, of a second, which is phenomenal. If you're doing sports photography, for example, or you're doing um, you know you're shooting things uh, that move very fast, like skateboarders, you know, jumping off of a ramp or whatever whatever it is, that sort of thing, you can freeze that at a high shutter speed, and you can still power the light in with oh. this thing. So it's it's really, from a professional point of view, it's a really useful, small, portable, uh, portable light. And of course, there are more powerful, more powerful options out there. But for ninety nine percent of what you would do, it's a perfect flash. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't cost thousands of pounds or thousands of dollars. Yeah. It's not really going to break the bank um, so much. So, and of course, they work in combination with the speed light. So I would use speed lights, you know, as a background light or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Still, so it's not that I'm. I've stopped using speed lights. I still use them uh, for a number of things, but my main go-to uh, go-to flash um, in the studio and on location is, is really the, the Honey Badger at the moment, and it's working out 
um, quite a while. Because if you think, if you if you think about some of the um, you know more upmarket brands like Broncolor or Profoto, they set you back thousands and thousands yeah. of pounds. Um, and as as a real alternative, I think you know um, the Honey Badger is one of the best solutions out there right now. It doesn't seem that that expensive to me, really. Con- considering what I've had to pay for the 300D, and they're probably, in you know, regards to what they do, they're probably comparable, you know, with their quality, uh, continuous light versus flash. One of the other things to take into consideration is consistency uh, in the output power um, of a flash. And I have to say the, uh, the Honey Badger has been extremely reliable in that. Um, mm. What happens very often with, you know, it, so for a low-end studio flash or speed light is that you take a shot and it exposes in a certain way and then you take the next shot and the power isn't 100% the same. And especially on speed lights, when the batteries are starting to run out, um, the difference can be quite remarkable. So you're going to get one shot that's perfectly exposed and then the next shot is maybe underexposed by a little bit. And so you're constantly, in, in editing, you're constantly fixing these exposure issues. The other thing that it does is it's, uh, it has a stroboscopic mode, which uh, which means that it can do 90 flashes per second. No. Yeah, so 90, wow. I think that's what it is, 90, 90 flashes per second. So if you're doing like a, you know, if you want to take multiple shots, um, again, of like a, a skateboard coming off of a ramp or something that's that's fast moving, you can just strobe the heck out of it um, and, and get these these flash is that times. at maximum power as well? Yeah, that's that's what it seems to be doing. So I haven't tested that yet, by the way. But you, you know, does on that paper, mean then if the battery can do? Did you say somewhere somewhere in the region of five hundred flashes at full power? Yeah, four hundred thirty. So if I mean, if you're if you're strobing it, I so don't you think get five the battery. Yeah, I don't think the battery's gonna gonna hold up uh, very long. <laughs> you just need multiple battery packs. You gotta try it. You gotta try it. Um, like I said, I haven't actually tested it yet. That's just you know what it says on the tin. So, um, but other than that. It's not bad. The, the charge time, by the way, of the battery is one and a half hours from empty to full, which I think is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, if you get those number of flashes out of it, that's, that's, that's all right. I've got batteries that take three times longer than that to charge. Yeah, I mean, under normal circumstances, you know, if you think like in the middle of a shoot, if you get to change the battery and you're putting a fresh one in and then you're putting the old one on charge, I mean, really, it's going to take you longer than, a, than an hour and a half to run that yeah. battery down, I think, under normal yeah. circumstances, you know in normal shoot situation. So so actually you should be totally fine with just with just two battery packs and just switch them over, you know. Um, so so yeah, I mean my experience with it has been really good. Um, also I love the fact that it's yellow and it's got this honey badger thing on the side. <laughs> is that painted on or is that actually vents? No, these are the vents. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's funny. Like... Yeah they obviously they clearly have a sense of humor which I like. So, yeah. Um, totally sold on that. Um, well, I look forward to hearing more about it as you you get it into more once we're out of the situation we're in and uh, hearing what it's, how it stands up in other situations. Yeah, and of course, I'll be using it to create our photo challenges. So that's you know, yeah. that's another thing. Okay, so what else have you got for us then today? Any other topics you want to talk about? Uh, I saw a couple of posts um, the other day where um, this French... Uh, one of them was this uh, French producer. Forgive me for my pronunciation. I think it's Benoit Milo. And he produced this one-minute video of um, photographs that he'd taken in the uh, centre of Paris 
uh, a few days, you know, uh, sometime, you know, I believe about a week ago now, um, where he's gone to all the main sites and taken a photo um, about noon, about midday. And all I can say is it's the eeriest thing I think I've ever seen. I've, I've been to Paris a couple of times and I, I know what it's like. I've been to these sites that are in these photos at the various times of the day and it's just heaving with people constantly. Now, because they're all in lockdown, these photos, I, I believe one photo or two photos had a person in it somewhere and that was it. And I've, I've never seen anything like it. Very, very cool photos. And he produced this one minute video, just stitching them all together, and it looks great. Um, he called it simply um, uh, Paris 2020. And you can check it out on, um, uh, I believe he posted it on Vimeo. The other one I saw, in which is absolutely on the same lines, is there's a hung Hungarian photographer who does aerial photography mostly. And he uh, logged in to loads of um, uh, loads of publicly accessible webcams in Italy across the major cities. And he, well, in Italy are in probably a tougher lockdown than France, I guess, right now in Paris, and certainly than we are in the in the UK. And he's basically print screened on his laptop photos from these webcams. And just done a series of thirty. I think he did forty photos all in all um, across various city, different landmarks in Rome, uh, Florence, places like that. And again, it just shows what's going on in these countries right now. There's, there's, people aren't there, and the, you won't get these photos any other time. In our, probably in our in our generation, right? You know what that reminded me of? Be that actually, um, is this the very first photograph ever to be taken? Um, in the history of photography, the very first photograph ever to be taken of a human being was uh, was done was taken in 1838 by somebody called Louis de Guerre, and um, it was just a photo of a street in Paris, I believe. And um, because of the exposure time necessary <laughs> for it, of course, it basically meant that all humans in in the uh, in the image would sort of disappear because they'd be moving through the image. But the exposure time was such that it would simply just expose all the things that were stationary and didn't move. So you could see the road and you could see the the, the lampposts and the trees and everything else, uh, but you couldn't see any humans in it, all right? <laughs> um, except there was, a, there was a guy who had his shoes shined. And because he was in the same position for a longer period of time, he appears in the photograph. And that is officially the first photograph of any human being ever taken. That's cool. And it's a, we'll, we'll post it on the, um, on our Facebook page maybe. Um, but it's a really interesting photograph because it's just, you, you know, you can see like an outline, like almost like a shadow of a person there, but you can definitely make out it's a person. But other than that, it seems, or it appears to be a completely empty street, which of course in reality it wasn't. Um, but uh, but it's, uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, and that was 1838. That's amazing. Yeah. Any idea what the exposure time was? Um, I, that's a very interesting question. But it would have, I mean, it would have had to have been several minutes, I would have thought. Wow. You know. Yeah. So he developed a photographic technique called daguerreotype, which basically meant that the, the image was exposed on a plate that was coated with chemicals. And it just took... A relatively long time for that for those chemicals to to react 
And so therefore, uh, you know, the exposure time was had to be that long. So you had to basically expose that plate and that, those chemicals uh, with light for a set amount of time. Um, and that essentially meant that anything that was fast moving in the frame would just simply disappear. We still do that, of course, nowadays with long exposure times. But back in those days, that was just, it was the only way to expose um, something on, onto this plate. So that's how that came about. Um, it's just... It's just an interesting sort of thought to think like that was a that was the first person ever to be photographed, and secondly, who was that guy? <laughs> like we will never know. We will never know who that was. Who was that dude? And that dude never in his life knew that he was the first person to appear in a photograph. And you know, if you think like how we take selfies today and how we use our phones to take photographs, and it's so natural and normal you know and we don't even think about it but that photograph has such a special meaning in the history of photography you know the first not the first photograph ever to be taken but the first photograph of a human being to be taken ever that's just uh, you know that in my head that's just it's crazy when i look at that what's interesting is because my dad actually used to uh, turn our bathroom into a dark room so he used to yeah he used to block out the the windows and uh, you know shut the door and um, as a kid, I wasn't allowed in when he was developing. He was developing a black and white phone um, at the time. So, and I, but I just, you know, I remember like the smell of the chemicals and all that, you yeah. know, stuff that went into it. Um, it's funny this because when I was a kid, I started uh, by, by uh, using video cameras. So I got into photography via video, uh, which usually that's probably, probably the other way around. Um, but uh, when I was a kid, I was you know, making videos and had my own video camera. Uh, which at the time was like a big deal, um, and uh, and so I always I always thought I'd be a filmmaker one day. Did that video camera have the old VHS tapes in? Uh, no, it's actually it was video eight. So I was already oh. like, yeah, I was. I used um, the old like I used full full format VHS um, at school where we had like a video club, um, and the camera there was like you know you had it, you had it on your shoulder and it's like <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, nice. One of those big beasts, but my video camera was an eight, like a video eight, eight millimeter tape nice. um, video camera, which it's a slightly smaller form factor. Uh, it also had high speed, like I think a thousand frames per second was a high speed function on it. Uh, yeah, no, it looked it looked terrible by the way, <laughs> yeah, by modern standards. But just think, you know, the way I used to edit videos at the time, because I used to make lots of like little short films and everything. But the, the way I used to edit them, uh, it was so basic. I literally, because this was like pre computers and everything. So I had two, um, I had basically, um, I had a VHS recorder, you know, like a VCR and my camera. And I used to, I used to press play on my camera. I used to press record on the, on the VHS. And then I used to pause it and like fast forward and edit it that way. So it was super crude. Super oh, crude. Pausing on the uh, video recorder. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, and it'd be like multiple tens and it's, you know, until until you had it, so it was cut in the way that you wanted to cut it. Um, and then a friend of mine tapes. had um, her dad was into making videos, and he had a title generator, which was a thing that you could put in the middle between two, you know, VCRs or the camera and the and the VCR, and you could pre, I was like pre-program little titles so you could put over the top, so you could have some. Wow. It was I mean it's super super basic, but of course you know uh, that that allowed you to make all sorts of different movies, and I made um, I made all sorts of movies. I built yeah. models and shot like little space movies and stuff like that. 
you know, practical effects. That's one of the things I loved about it was, was doing practical effects. I did a whole lot of practical effects at the time, which was, uh, and some of my movies were literally just based around these effects. I just worked out how to do something and I'll just shoot a little, nice. I'll, sh- I'll shoot a little, you know, shoot a little sequence about that. Um, cool. Well, I tell you what, I've got, I've got a little thing to talk about, which um, I've come across uh, a day or so ago, which, which made me laugh. So there's a place, <laughs> so get this, right? There's a place in England called Buxton. And it's in the, in the Peak District. So it's somewhere near like Macclesfield or between Manchester and Sheffield or whatever it is. I don't think, I haven't ventured that far. That, that far way. Ago. Yeah, it's, it's that <laughs> way, you know. But um, so there's a place called Buxton. And near Buxton is a place called the Blue Lagoon, which is an artificial lake if you want. Okay. Um, but it's known for its lagoon-like blue water. And uh, so it's, it's one of the prime destinations for lots of Instagrammers uh, taking selfies of themselves in front of this blue lagoon. And despite the, the recent restrictions of, uh, of travel and movement um, in the UK, um, apparently there were still lots of Instagrammers who ventured out there to take, uh, to take selfies of themselves. And the police had to get involved to disperse the crowds, as it were, and to tell these people to go home and stay indoors. And so what they decided to do, and this is what cracks me up, um, they decided to throw black dye into the Blue Lagoon to make the water <laughs> less attractive for people to take their pictures. It's <laughs> <That's> genius. <laughs> it's a genius way of dealing with it. Although, Can you imagine how much dye that would take? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I saw some pictures of it. Like, it, they obviously, you know, they must have thrown a whole like a whole lot of dye in there. It's like- Going from a jeans in there. Yeah. Um, so the idea was basically to, to dye it black so that it's less attractive. Um, I'm, you know, immediately thinking, but, but surely now that you've done that and that you've published that story, surely now even more people might be going out there just to see the black lagoon, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, time will tell whether that um, worked in the way intended, but... Oh, that's incredible. It must look like, I bet it looks like an oil slick. Yeah, it does exactly look like an oil slick. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So nice. um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't oil that they threw in there. They said it was black dye, but. I tell you what, even though we're locked down, we're still allowed out to do emergency things and whatnot. As long as we take separate cars, maybe we should take a little trip and take a photo. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, no, I'm not encouraging that. No, yeah. no, no. Exactly. Yeah, stay indoors. Wash your hands. Mm, yeah, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. <laughs> Oh, that's cool, man! I, I can't wait to see a photo of that. That's going to be incredible. Well, of course, we're going to we're going to um, put links and photos um, on on our Facebook page. So, I had one other thing I just wanted to mention, real quick one, because I saw it the other day, and I think it's fantastic what they're doing. Um, so, Apple ha- are allowing uh, ninety day trials of Final Cut Pro X, oh, really, and ninety day trials of um, Logic Pro X for as free. Well. For, yeah, yeah, for free. I think they're normally 14 or 30 day trials that you, they'll let you have, and then they'll just stop working, as you can imagine. Um, but they're doing 90 days because of what's going on with the, um, obviously with the coronavirus and whatnot, and get people, you know, creating audio, creating um, video content and whatnot at home. I thought that was fantastic. I mean, Final Cut's normally about, um, I think, 250 or 300 pounds, and Logic is around the 200 pound mark. So to get those free, Fully functional for 90 days is incredible. Yeah, I have to say, I love what some of the companies are doing right now, um, you know, to get people to try stuff out and, you know, keep people occupied and give them, 
give them opportunities to be creative um, at home. Yeah. You know, it's, that's uh, amazing. That's I, I told a friend of mine about this the other day, and um, he's gone and downloaded um, Final Cut, and he's starting because he was using iMovie previously. He, he, you know, he just likes to dabble and you know make little little um, little like phone videos and things like that. And so he downloaded Final Cut, and we had a, a Zoom call the other week um, with another friend of ours, and I'd just given them some sort of tips and sort of get started kind of know-how on it. And it was it was great fun. I, I even learned some stuff. Cool. I used to use Logic, um, sorry, um, Final Cut years ago, and I moved to Premiere Pro. Um, but Final Cut is, is great at what it does, you know, and, and for the price, it's, you know, it's a one-off cost, whereas Adobe, you have to pay your monthly subscription, which may or may not be what you want. But to be able to just try them out for 90 days for free is amazing. That's great. Yeah, and of course, you know, it gives you the opportunity, A, to create stuff, and then also to make up your mind as to what, you know, which yeah. system you might want to favor. Exactly. You know, it's like for us, it's a funny thing. We, we work together on, on a number of video projects, and of course, I cut in, or I edit in Final Cut Pro, and you, you edit in Adobe Premiere Pro. So our systems are not necessarily compatible, but we'll still, you know, we're still making it work. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, I mean, Logic. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with um, Logic or um, sort of audio workstations, um, but I, I actually have a bit more of a background in doing audio engineer anyway. Engineering anyway. And so, you know, Logic's great. I mean, it's what students are learning on in schools primarily: Logic and Pro Tools. Um, Pro Tools moved to subscription-based um, uh, kind of model uh, a couple of years ago now, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure how how much that is or whether they're doing they've extended their free trials or not. But check it out. Let us know um, I, if they are. I'll grab that. So I used to use Pro Tools as well, but I use um, PreSonus Studio One. Um, you can get a free version of that as well, and they do trials, just other ones to try out. And but Logic, 90 days, do it. Do it, even if you only use it once. Try it. <laughs> cool. Again, we'll put all the links um, in the description and uh, and on our Facebook page. You'll find out. Look at Right. Okay. Cool. Well, I've got one more thing to talk about, which made me laugh even more than the Blue Lagoon thing. That's impossible. <laughs> Especially because I never really heard of a place called Buxton before. But you know, um, do you know what Buxton reminds me of? What's that? Have you seen Shawshank Redemption? Of course, you've seen Shawshank. I have. Yeah. 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 Buxton is where um, Red has to go to, and he finds that box underneath oh, the Black Rock right. to go and find out. I've forgotten the main character's name now, Andy. Yeah. To find out where Andy's gone. That's Buxton under right. that oak tree. Right. See, Total, that's, that's totally another irrelevant movie to put, information. That's another movie to put back on my Netflix, you know, yeah. have to yeah, view list. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, as you know, now that I'm halfway through Disney Plus's uh, selection of Marvel movies. <laughs> Which we're watching in chronological order. That's right, in chronological order. Oh, yes. Really? Yes, starting nice. with the first Avenger, Captain America, moving on to Iron Man, the whole nine yards, all the way to Endgame, for sure. Right, so I've got one more thing to talk about, and that's uh, something that I came across the other day that made me laugh a lot. And that is uh, a, it's a story about a Lithuanian-based wedding photographer called Adas Vasiloskas. I have no idea whether I pronounced that right or not. But basically, his wedding photography business has all but collapsed. Um, so he's found himself with, you know, cancelled weddings and cancelled shoots and cancelled contracts and no income at all. And so he's decided to make use of this off time, if you want, 
uh, and, and put that to use in a creative way. And so what he's, uh, what he's done is he's taken his drone and he's taken, he's taken photos of people through their living room windows. And that sounds what? weird. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but he's done it with consent. And uh, what's happened was, what's happened was this, is that, what's happened is that um, he's created these really hilarious photos where like people are dressing up and they're posing inside of their flats and houses or on their balconies or on their porches and like, you know, fancy dress and uh, doing your fa- funny things. And the photos are hilarious. They're all taken with this drone. Um, and that made me think, you know, I fly a drone myself many for fun Um, and also, you know, to make photos and so on and so forth. And of course the drone laws in the UK are such that you could never do this because you've got to stay at least 150 meters away from build-up areas or a minimum of 50 meters from, uh, from any form of building. So that's the law. So even under those circumstances, you could never do that. You could never create these kind of photos uh, over here in the UK. And I'm sure in like uh, many other countries too. So this seems to be different in Lithuania. Um, but the end results were hilarious. And again, we'll link to that, um, on our Facebook page. So were these like random people or does he know, are they friends? Does he, does he know them? No, he must know these people because see, uh, okay. when you look at the photos, you realize that it was totally pre- pre-arranged. So, um, you know, obviously cause they're wearing fancy dress and they're posing at the windows, um, doing funny things. So they were all staged in that way. But just the sheer fact that they were taking, they were taken uh, with a drone outside somebody's window, and some of these people lived in like like tower blocks, I think, like, you know, several several stories up, um, or you know, there were a bunch of people like you know on their veranda, on their porch, sunbathing in full on like military gear with gas masks, you know, and stuff like that. So <laughs> a lot, of, yeah, a lot of these photos are absolutely hilarious um, and really really good fun. Um, and just goes to show that you know you can be creative even under those circumstances. Yeah. Wow! I, when you started telling me about that, I, I didn't know where this was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't. Yeah, it sounds weird when you first you know when you first say, like, oh, you know, you obviously you would never want to take photographs of people through their windows with a drone under any circumstances, <laughs> right? That's definitely not cool. Um, but of course, these were pre-arranged uh, shoots with you know full permission of of the of the people being photographed, and it it was an art, an artistic project. Yeah. So um, and you know if you head over to our Facebook page and have a look at uh, at the link there, you'll see what I'm talking about. Right. So now it's time for our weekly photo challenge. Um, every week, Nick and me set ourselves a challenge to create a photograph um, or a video, in fact. Um, but we started with the photograph, so. This week's challenge was music teachers at home, I think we could say. And, um, and so what we'll do is we'll bring our photos up and we'll talk about them. We'll talk about how we made them, what, what the thinking was behind them. Um, and we hope you enjoy that. Um, so here we'll start with our photo number one. Should we start with your photo, Nick? It was our first week of doing some kind of teaching using Zoom, right? So my kind of idea here was more the stress and the strain of getting it to the settings right and perfect, making sure the students are able to hear us, we can hear them, things like that. So you can see that I've composited three separate photos um, here of me, you know, um, I've got a ukulele behind me there in front of my laptop. 
in the middle, I've got my bass, because I'm a uh, bass player, um, looking quite angry and upset. And my head in my hands over uh, at my piano as well. And so <laughs> um, what I ended up doing, I actually used the, rather than using Flash for the free photos, I actually used the uh, 300D as a continuous light instead which was, obviously adds a bit of a different look to it, but I wanted to really put it through its paces and see, see what it could do. Um, and so all this photo was in the preparation, more than anything else. The photos themselves didn't take long at all, but it's getting it framed up in such a way that I knew I could fit in three separate photos of me, so clones of myself, if you like. And so uh, I started with the photo at the back where I'm on my laptop, and it was, man, I mean, I had to, I mean, I was moving my camera by and zooming in and out and moving it by millimeters to make sure that that laptop screen was just on in frame and that I was going to leave enough room for the middle shot to be there. And so I started with that shot. Um, I lit just that shot. Um, and then obviously I didn't move the camera at all. Then I did the shot by the piano. I moved my light to light that shot and took some photos there. And if you look carefully, you can see that actually I'm not sat in the middle of the piano. I've actually moved everything to the left of the piano more toward the, towards the bass end because that's how it fitted. It framed better that way in the end. Um, so I lit that, took a few photos there, and then I took the shot in the middle as well. And um, uh, moved the light and uh, lit that shot as well. Um, I only changed the focus point for each each of the shots, and then brought those into Photoshop and um, masked out the bits that I didn't want. Um, I was actually you'll, you'll probably see as well that the um, that light with the green lampshade that should be about bang on in the middle of the frame, give or take. Um, so that my original idea was that might be a masking point for me, but it didn't work out that way because of the way the light, um, I'd positioned the light for the photos and the way the light was coming off that lamp as well. There wasn't a good masking point at there at all. It wouldn't work. It would just cut some of the shadows and it, it just looked unnatural. It didn't look right. So actually I've ended up using the mirror as one of the masking points coming down and then going behind my what is my middle photo where I'm in the center of my bass guitar and cut, just cutting down below that way, which worked a lot, a lot better. I'll tell you what I struggled with with this composite was around my hair and masking out around there. I, I had a really hard time with that. So my hair at the top almost looks too perfect because I, I, I wasn't, I, I wanted to do it quickly and I didn't want to learn too much as I was going, like Googling how to do this. I wanted to use my skills at the moment to be able to composite this. And so I didn't know how to mask out the hair with keeping like stray hairs and things like that all natural. Um, so I'd really welcome your, your thought. I know how good you are in Photoshop. I welcome your thoughts on how to go about that better. Uh, in the future. Anyway, I guess a lot of me waffling on about that photo. But there's a, there's a number of um, a number of different ways that you could do it. Um, hair is one of the one of the hardest things to mask out uh, and, and to get a realistic looking um, effect, basically. Yeah. But it's totally doable. And in fact, some of the tools um, in the later versions of Photoshop are really doing a great job um, at doing that. So. 
Um, and it always depends on to what degree, what degree of perfection you want to achieve. Yeah. So just to give you an example, you know, sometimes uh, when I'm doing a, a LinkedIn headshot for, you know, for somebody, um, and I need to mask out that person because I need to put that person in, in front of a different background or something, you know, these, these photos are going to end up being really tiny, small. So the degree of perfection in those photographs is very, is very different from something that's going to end up on a billboard, for example. You know, so it really depends on the use of the photograph um, and how big it's going to end up being uh, either in print or on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what, what, you've, what you've done there uh, actually looks really good, you know, when, especially when I look at it on my phone, it's, you know, it's great. Um, you know, I can't really... You know, that's definitely, that's absolutely good enough for what we were trying to achieve there. So um, it looks, you know, the light looks very realistic. So just by looking at it, you know, it looks like all three, all three U's are in the same yeah. room, you know, and that's, um, that's another thing to uh, take into, considera- into consideration when you're cloning yourself is, especially when you start moving the light around, is how yeah. realistic that light would, would actually look. Because if you, if you light the same subject set in several different ways and they all appear in the same scene, it very quickly starts to look very unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. So I actually changed the intensity of light depending on where I'd moved it to to try and keep it as balanced as possible. I actually got it wrong on the the middle photo. I, I it was it was too much. It was, it was so I actually edited that photo separately to bring the highlights down and some of the whites a little bit to try and make it match before I then composited it. And then kind of edited the whole photos and colored it in that way. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good way of uh, going about it. It's, you know, once you've got all your composites together, it's a really good way, a really good idea to, um, to then take the whole Co- photograph. Correct. Some of yeah, them first. And then basically edit the whole thing and, mm. you know, and make mm. that, you know, to tie it all in and make it all look as if everything's actually in the same frame. So when you put a composite together, it's really important to think about um, making your lighting as consistent as possible. Because when different objects are lit in different ways and you put them together into the same frame, it very quickly becomes very obvious that they didn't actually exist in the same frame originally. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can tell that something is composited together. So uh, when you set up a shoot like that, you want to make sure that you set your lights so that they're consistent all the way through. So what I, what I mean sometimes is that you set your lights up and they just stay in the same place uh, and they're set to the exact same power. Um, and then when you put objects into that scene, um, they're lit in a way that looks very realistic because th- that's how the light would fall on them had they been there at, this, at the same time, if that makes sense. Should we take a look at yours? Sure. First question is, is that all one photo or is it a composite? Yeah, so that's all one photo. Nice. Yeah, so, so basically, so the idea behind my photo was, um, since the topic was, you know, the modern day music teacher teaching remotely, you know, via a camera and a screen. Um, it's the, the thinking was that really all you can see is like the upper part of the body. And you have no idea what's going on below yeah. the waistline. And really anything could be going on. You just have no idea. Um, so in this case, my idea was that, um, you know, I'm having a foot bath <laughs> whilst I'm teaching the guitar. Um, and of course, there's also some mess going on um, that the student will never see because all they, all they see is my head or the top half of my body and the background. And I really have no idea what else is going on. So you have a completely <laughs> false impression as to what reality is. So the reality yeah. for the people 
for the person watching is completely different from, I mean, people don't know what's going on here. I might be, I might be naked from the waist down. I'm not, but you know, you never know. I've just noticed Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, so, so a recurring theme in uh, in the portraiture that I do is that you'll find hidden Star Wars elements if you look hard enough. <laughs> Way exactly. <laughs> um, so what um what lenses do you, you use? Because I was it quite a wide wide angle lens. Yeah, so this this one was uh, a fourteen to twenty four. You can feel the distortion at the edges in a really nice way. Yeah, in a really nice way. Yeah, so the the lens uh, that I used for this one was a fourteen to twenty four, and it's probably around about I would say I would say probably around, around about twenty mil. So it wasn't okay. all the way out. Um, the 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 problem that I have in this space is that I can't go back very far, so I need to use a wide lens. Um, to capture the whole scene, or as much of the scene as I wanted to capture. And um, what that brings with it is a lot of barrel distortion. So it's, yeah. you know, a fisheye would be an extreme example of that. Sure. It's not quite as bad as a fisheye lens, but it goes into that direction. Um, so to make sure that the lines are straight, there's a number of things you got to do. You got to get the angle right. So you got to set the camera up at the right angle. Um, you can see a bit of the wall on the left-hand side of the photo. Uh, just behind the palm tree, and that's a straight line. It's supposed to be a straight line in real life. And of course, depending on the perspective in a photograph, it just wouldn't appear like a like a straight mm, line. Mm. So setting up your angles is very important in this. Uh, and also a little bit of post-production um, that happened there in order to straighten out um, those lines, um, those vertical lines. You yeah, know, um, yeah. That's very important. But other than that, really, it's just a, you know, it's a situational um portrait, meaning it's, you know, a portrait of a person in a particular situation. And in this case, uh, it's, it's really all about creating a set, um, essentially, and making the set look good. Uh, yeah. Because, because the, it's such an integral part of the photograph that whatever the person in it does um, really only makes sense in context. And by creating that set in the background and the stuff in the foreground, all the stuff on the floor and the guitars and the, um, the music, and the Star Wars elements, um, all of that really just adds to creating creating a scene. And you, and you know, and, and something I think a lot of people would have maybe perhaps not done is you've deliberately, I, I guess, angled your laptop screen towards the camera. Yeah. All right. And that's just seems like such a small detail, but for me, looking at that, if that laptop was side on and you can only see the edge of the screen and you couldn't see the front of it at all. This photo wouldn't be nearly as good. Yeah, it's. I think the the thing there is, um, you know, you can remember that that the the model, if you want to, me or the person in it, you know, interacts with something, and you got to yeah. get an idea as to what that person is interacting with. Um, and again, you know, just like I said, if you if you just had a side on view of the laptop, you wouldn't be able to see what's on the screen. So this way, um, you can at least see what's in the screen. The thing that I would do differently now, you know, if I do it again, uh, would be that. I would probably move the, the coffee can a little bit because for me, it's blocking a little bit too much of the screen. So um, I wanted to have the coffee in there because it's also very integral to me. It's just one of these things. I drink a lot of coffee, as you know. Um, I virtually, I'm fueled by the stuff. So that to me is, a, is it's just part of my personality. But um, if I had to do it again, I would probably place the coffee cup maybe in a different place. Um, so that there'd be a slight, slightly more, like slightly clearer view of the um, of the screen. But I think 
you know, overall, um, it came out all right. I lit it with uh, with the honey badger, by the way. Oh, uh, there we go. And a sort of a medium-sized softbox. Um, and it was, um, I used the grid on it, um, but I had to peel the grid off on the side a little bit in order to get a little bit more light onto the palm tree um, on the side. So that oh, planned smart was move. getting a little too dark uh, when I originally lit it. So I had to peel that back a little bit on the side, just a little, little bit of light mm. coming out the side. Mm. Uh, to fall into the light uh, onto that palm tree, and it worked. I thought it worked really well. Um, there's still a bit of a vignette going on, which is great. I, li- I like it. It's a natural vignette, so I didn't add any in, in post there. Yeah. Um, but it just helped that palm tree to come out a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think with a absolutely. You know, and then of course you've got a lot of shiny surfaces in this, and this is this is the other thing um, that took quite a long time to uh, take care of. Is is reflections? Like if you look at the the picture frame. Um, on my desk, uh, in the back there with the the nutcracker yep. on it. So that's it. Looks like it's leaning against the wall, but it's not really. It's angled at an angle because originally I got a lot of reflection from uh, from the softbox in there, and so I had to angle so, it away. So rather than it being flat on the wall, it's it's actually angled that forward. way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. That, you know, and the same with the uh, the Les Paul guitar on the left hand side. That is angled. If you looked at that scene as it was on the set. It would have looked awkward. That it wouldn't. You yeah. would immediately think, well, that's not. That's you would never lean a guitar like that. But of course, in the photo, a photo being you know a two-dimensional representation of three-dimensional space, if you want, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it doesn't. You can't really see that. But the difference that that I've made was that I now didn't have any reflection on the top of the guitar. So it took a long time just, you know, taking care of all these little things and just yeah. moving things a little bit, um, taking test shots, moving it again, blah, blah. So I've just noticed that you've got one, two, seven bottles of hot sauce up on top of that shelf that you've got in the background there. I've, yeah. I've been looking at this photo now for, what, five minutes straight? Yeah. And I've only just noticed that there's so much going on. That's incredible. Who thinks to put hot sauce in their <laughs> photo of teaching? <laughs> It's incredible. Well, I think, you know, with, with, some, with something like that, especially, I mean, it's effectively a self-portrait, you know, if you think about it. Um, yeah. It's, I always think, you know, I want to put as, as much of my own personality into the photo as, I, as mm-hmm. I can, and even just as little details in the background that nobody, you know, most people would probably completely um, ignore that fact or, you know, not see it. Again, you know, there's always there are always things that when when you look at the photo for a number of days you kind of think like okay I should have done this or next time I'll do this different. Again, for me the the, uh, the coffee mug is one thing. The other thing is in the top right hand corner there's a lot of uh, empty space in there. Um, if I were to do this again, I would probably hang a picture there or something. I put something mm-hmm. of interest mm-hmm. coming in. Maybe maybe a lamp, maybe a lampshade or another plant coming in or something just to frame that a little bit. And that's that's the thing, right? It's it, on that particular day, that's exactly what you wanted. You went for it. And yeah, there's always going to be something in yeah. hindsight that you want to do ever so slightly differently. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it was wrong not to do it either. You know, it's just think, oh, I could make that slightly more interesting over here. And that's great. And that's that's what that's why you keep doing this, right? Yeah, and you gotta you gotta remember that you know, every uh, every photo that you make or every video that you edit is a learning opportunity, you know. So yeah. Um, and that's true for somebody who's who's just beginning or who's just starting to get into photography. Uh, it's just the same for somebody who's who's been doing it for years, like myself. Um, you learn stuff every time, and you use that that knowledge on the next shoot. 
mm-hmm. you know, and so you get better at what you do um, just by critically thinking and reviewing your, your own work, you know. Yeah. I, what I like about this photo challenge in general is the fact that, you know, we, we set a topic and then you could think, you know, it's the, the creative process to start with is where you think like, oh, okay, what am I going to do? And then you start with a basic idea and then you, you know, like I said, you flesh it out and you, you come up with the end result. It's the process that's really interesting. Absolutely. And it's doubly challenging given that we're doing it from the confines of our home yeah. as well, right? That's, yeah, exactly. Because you've only got the space that you've got to work in. You know, I, I had to rearrange and move stuff all around my living room to be able to get that shot because I had no space, yeah. other space big enough really yeah, to do what I, I, I had in mind to actually do. And so, yeah, the, I'm, I can't wait to do the next one. I really can't wait. Yeah, so you know what they say, done is better than perfect. Yeah, that's definitely true uh, in these things. So you just have to kind of get out there and, and start doing stuff um, and then, you know, critically review it. One thing that happens all the time, by the way, this is the same um, for me. It's the same no matter whether I, you know, I, I'll write some a bit of music or, um, or I'll make a photo or a video or something. You know, you get into it and you kind of think, yeah, man, this is awesome, you know, wicked. Da, da, da. Um, and then, of course, it's like you think, like, well, this is the best thing I've ever done. When you then look back at it months later, you kind of look and you go like, eh, well... It's not as good as I thought it was at the time, but that's because of course you're now six months or three months or whatever down the line and you've learned more and you now critically look back at something and you kind of go, well, actually now, you know, I'd be able to do better. And that's, you know, that's kind of how you progress and you get better at at that sort of thing. Absolutely. So on that note, done is better than perfect. We've come to the end of our first episode of the Camera Shake podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I hope you tune in next week for the next episode. Um, just a bit of a warning. We may have some guests on the show. We'll see what's happening. But in any event, we'll see you next week.